That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. It's time for Justice Matters with former federal prosecutor and MSNBC analyst Glenn Kirchner. Today on our long-form weekend podcast, Glenn says the word of the day is accountability. He begins with the horrific tragedy of the mass shootings in Lewisburg, Maine. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. Welcome to the weekend edition of Justice Matters, my audio podcast, where on the weekends we air things out a bit. We try to do a deep dive into the legal issues of the past week and look ahead to what next week may hold in store. And friends, with your kind permission, I'm going to do things a little bit differently today. So a little bit of a look behind the curtain. You may not know, but Every week when I prepare to do my long-form podcast on the weekends, which lasts somewhere between maybe 30, 45, 50 minutes, I actually try to script it out a little bit. You may not realize that if you've heard my past weekend podcasts and are saying to yourself, boy, it doesn't sound all that scripted or organized or even coherent, Glenn. Well, I hope it it does sound like all of those things, but I usually try to script it out. You know, I'll do an outline, I'll kind of go through it, I'll figure out what topics I want to discuss, you know, how I want to say things. I may even practice it once or twice before I sit here in my little office slash studio in downtown historic Leesburg, Virginia, and try to knock it out. Well, I'm not going to do that today. Today I'm going to do it completely off the cuff. And part of the reason is because I really feel the need to talk about the latest mass shooting up in Lewiston, Maine. And rather than script it out and outline it and practice it, I just kind of want to have it all come directly from my heart. And I am giving fair warning right now to my editor Wendy, my editor extraordinaire who has to listen to me every Friday after I record my long-form podcast and edit and try to make some sense of what it is I have said, and she does a remarkable job editing. So shout out to Wendy. Don't edit this out, Wendy. Shout out to Wendy for putting up with me every week and doing the remarkable editing work she does. But Fair warning, uh, Wendy, hold on tight, because this one is completely unscripted. I want to start with the 18 dead and 13 injured up in Lewiston, Maine. You know, I was listening to an expert, an academician on mass shootings in America, and I wish I caught his name. I didn't. But what he said was, in recent years... We have gone from an average of one mass shooting a day in the United States of America. And you know where we are now, friends? 
1.93, the statistics tell us, 1.93 mass shootings a day in the United States of America. So many of them involving assault rifles, weapons of war. And yet, there are so many politicians who still worship at the altar of unrestricted access to assault rifles. And these politicians, yes, largely Republicans, will say, well, it's our Second Amendment right to bear arms. We have freedoms in America under the Second... Well, you know what? We're going to freedom ourselves to death if we keep this up. We are sacrificing our friends, our family members, our neighbors, our children, our fellow Americans. We're sacrificing the lives of so many every day, 1.93 mass shootings a day in America, because this batch of Republicans continue to want to worship at the altar of unrestricted access to assault rifles. And in the process, friends, you know, they're just taking that dirty NRA money, much of which probably originates in Russia. We've seen some of the reporting about that in the past, haven't we? And they have that dirty blood money flow into their campaign coffers. We're going to freedom ourselves to death. And the Republican politicians who refuse to support any reasonable common sense restrictions on not just gun ownership, but ownership of weapons of mass destruction, weapons of war, assault rifles, things the framers of the Constitution never contemplated. So don't tell me it's the original tent bullshit argument. We're going to freedom ourselves to death. The only ones who can save us are us, we the people, right? So all we can do, friends, I mean, there's plenty we can do, but the one thing that we have to do is vote out every single politician who refuses to take on this problem of 1.93 mass shootings in America every day. Take on and vote out these politicians who refuse to give an inch on protecting the American people by passing common sense gun legislation, assault rifle legislation, extended magazine legislation, legislation that requires common sense background checks and red flag laws, though they sure don't seem to be doing the job, do they? The laws that we have in place right now. How about we ban, you know, the mass purchase of ammunition? How about there are so many things that can be done to begin to make inroads into the 1.93 mass shootings a day by which we're killing ourselves. We are freedoming ourselves to death. It's up to us. It's up to us to vote out every damn politician who refuses to protect the American people against those 1.93 mass shootings a day, a day in the United States. 
Uh, okay, we started with a very heavy topic, but you know, one of the most important issues of our time because you know, we continue to be awash in this country in guns, both legal and illegal, both handguns and rifles, semi-automatic and fully automatic assault rifles, weapons of war, weapons of mass destruction. And at some point, you know, we have to let common sense creep in and we have to stop killing ourselves by claiming that any restriction would be an unconstitutional, unjustifiable violation of our Second Amendment right to kill ourselves and our neighbors and our friends and our family and our children with assault rifles. Coming up, there are new developments in Trump's election tampering case in D.C. Glenn gives the details next on Justice Matters. Beowulf here with Justice Matters, and I am loving the warmer weather and the sunnier skies. It makes you want to get out and move and get healthy. And you can help yourself get healthy and meet your wellness goals with no prep, no mess meals from Factormeals.com. There's a whole menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Enjoy effortless support for your lifestyle. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat in a well-balanced way. What's my favorite? I love the jalapeno lime cheddar chicken with spicy cilantro cauliflower rice. So flavorful and healthy, too. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash glen50 and use code glen50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's glen50 at factormeals.com slash glenn 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Factormeals.com slash glen50. Go there. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Special Counsel Jack Smith is going hard after Trump with a new court filing asking the judge to reinstate his gag order. Here's Glenn. Friends, let's turn to a review of the top legal stories of last week and then look ahead to where we might be headed because we are moving at breakneck speed on the legal front. Some of the developments are good, some are less good, some are downright bad. But the watch word for the day is accountability. Accountability. And we're going to try to weave accountability into every story we take on today. 
I want to start with a story where, you know, I can find some encouragement. And it is the 32-page brand new court filing by special counsel Jack Smith and his team of federal prosecutors in Donald Trump's federal prosecution in Washington, D.C. for trying to kill our democracy, trying to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election, trying to reinstall himself in the Oval Office as a dictator over the expressed will of the American voters. Because I have read a couple of times now this 32-page new court filing by Jack Smith, and let me just set it up, and then I'm just going to quote probably one sentence, because that sentence not only summarizes and captures the danger that Donald Trump poses to the American people and to our democracy, but it really sings. I love this one sentence from Jack Smith, but let me set it up. As you may know, a couple of weeks ago, Judge Tanya Chutkin, the presiding judge in the D.C. federal prosecution of Donald Trump, imposed a gag order. After a two-hour argument, I sat in court and listened to every word of it. And the gag order, in substance, directed Donald Trump, you may not talk about the witnesses, you may not talk about the court staff, you may not talk about Jack Smith and his prosecutors because you endanger them all. You inspire your supporters to violence against them when you do so, so you are hereby gagged. You may not talk about those three topics. I'm obviously taking liberties with the precise language of Judge Chutkin's gag order. And the defense filed an appeal, and they asked Judge Chutkin to temporarily pause temporarily stay or suspend the gag order she put in place. And I'm not going to lie, I was disappointed when she granted that motion for a temporary pause, a temporary stay. And the minute she did it, what did Donald Trump do? He started posting things endangering the witnesses and the prosecutors. Predictably, he did exactly what the gag order would have prohibited had the judge let it stay in place, kind of proving the need for the gag order. So Donald Trump is always his worst enemy on the tactical front. He's a tactical idiot. He's a tactical buffoon. And so Jack Smith filed a 32-page pleading detailing why the judge should lift the stay should put the gag order back in place, but he went one step farther, and that's where we're going to end up in our discussion about this issue. So here is what Jack Smith said in this 32-page pleading, and I lied to you a few minutes ago. I'm going to read a couple of sentences, not just one, because the government's court filing starts with the following. The court has issued a narrow order, a gag order, that strikes a careful balance between the First Amendment rights of the defendant and the need to safeguard the integrity of the proceedings, including by protecting certain trial participants from intimidation, harassment, and threats. Like every other criminal defendant, what this defendant, Donald Trump, may not do is publicly target certain trial participants in order to vilify and implicitly encourage violence against public servants 
or to launch a pre-trial smear campaign against foreseeable witnesses. That's how Jack Smith's court filing opens. And then we're going to jump to page 11 because here is the sentence that summarizes and crystallizes things beautifully. You know, I mean, rarely do legal pleadings sing, not often flowery prose, but I love this sentence on page 11. Jack Smith's prosecutors say the following. There has never been a criminal case in which a court has granted a defendant an unfettered right to try his case in the media, malign the presiding judge as a fraud and a hack, attack the prosecutor as a deranged thug, and after promising witnesses and others, if you go after me, I'm coming after you, target specific witnesses with attacks on their character and credibility, even suggesting that one witness's actions warrant the punishment of death. Jack Smith is right. There has never been a criminal case where a defendant was given the unfettered right to do all of that. And yet, thus far, Donald Trump has been given the unfettered right to do all of that. It was paused temporarily when Judge Chutkin put that gag order in place, saying, you may not do those things, but then she paused it. And we are now in that ugly, dark period of the gag order pause. But Jack Smith in this 32-page court filing says, Judge, please, the law supports you putting that gag order back in place. Lift this pause. Protect the witnesses and the court staff. Protect the prosecutors. Protect and preserve the people's right to a fair trial because the people have a right to a fair trial on Donald Trump's democracy-busting crimes. Not just Donald Trump. He has a right to a fair trial. But guess what? We the people do as well. And the only way to even have a hope of a fair trial and an untainted jury and witnesses who are not scared to death, intimidated, threatened, or worse, by Donald Trump's unabated, dangerous, deadly rhetoric, his speech, and his posts. The only way we have a hope of a fair trial is if you put the gag order back in place. That was the major ask of Jack Smith in this 32-page court filing, but Here's where I want to go, and we're going to finish up our conversation about this gag order. I want to go to page 31 of the 32-page pleading, right? You had to slog your way through 30 pages, although it's pretty compelling reading. I invite anybody to read it. It's not sort of written in dense legalese. You know, it's, it's sort of layman friendly. So if you go to the 31st page, here is a really important ask that... Jack Smith makes of Judge Chutkin. And, you know, it's a little bit of legalese. So I'm going to read it and then I'm going to translate it into English. Here's what Jack Smith says He says, The court should modify Defendant Trump's conditions of release by making compliance with the gag order a condition of release by doing so. The court will have at its disposal 
the compliance measures available in 18 United States Code Section 3148, in addition to those available as a contempt penalty for violating the order. Let me read the final sentence. Otherwise, without the court's intervention, the defendant will continue to threaten the integrity of these proceedings and put trial participants at risk. So what did Jack Smith do there? What was he requesting of Judge Chutkin? I know this is legalese, but it's really important. What he did was he said, Judge, don't just issue this gag order as kind of a free form gag order that is untethered to any other provision of the law. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is, remember how Judge Engoron up in New York in Donald Trump's trial for massive civil fraud over years and decades by which he, you know, bilked the New York taxpayers out of millions and millions and millions of dollars? Remember how he threatened Judge Engoron's clerk and Judge Engoron issued a snap gag order you are ordered not to do that again. What did he do? He did it again. But that gag order was kind of untethered to any sanctions. So what the judge had to decide was, okay, well now, what do I do? Now that he's violated it, he's actually violated it twice, what kind of sanctions can I impose? And what he came up with is $5,000 for the first violation and $10,000 for the new, the most recent violation, right? So Donald Trump probably said, hey, can somebody just run down to Trump Tower for me, a couple of blocks away from where I'm sitting in court, rummage through the couch cushions and find 10 grand so I can give it to this biased hack judge, Judge Angoron. Those are Trump's words, I'm paraphrasing. He calls Judge Angoron every name in the book every day in what I call Donald Trump's hallway lies because he sits in the courtroom all day long grumbling and mumbling and you know throwing mean glances at the witnesses like the juvenile thug he is and then he runs out into the hallway he doesn't run he lumbers stumbles he goes out into the hallway and tells his hallway lies which are completely uncross-examined and the point is, among other points, that a $10,000 fine means nothing to Trump, and he will continue to test the gag order waters in New York. But here's the point about discussing what's going on in New York, and particularly with that gag order. It's kind of untethered. It's just like, okay, there's this gag order that's floating around in the air and in the case, and if Donald Trump violates it, I'll penalize him, I'll impose some money sanctions, big whoop from Donald Trump's perspective. Big whoop is a legal term, I think. And um, here's what Jack Smith is trying to do with the gag order in DC. He doesn't want it floating around in the case untethered to any specific sanctions. He said, Judge, here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to just impose a gag order. I'm asking you to impose the gag order specifically as a condition of his pretrial release. What does that mean? It means if he violates it, the law, specifically Section 3148 of 18 United States Code, Title 18, says if you violate a specifically imposed condition of release, the defendant can and frankly should be revoked on release 
an order of detention can be entered and he can be prosecuted for criminal contempt of court. So what Jack Smith is doing is basically trying to walk Donald Trump step by step, inch by inch, slowly I turn. Sometimes the old time phrases and vaudeville skits just pop into my head. Jack Smith is trying to walk Donald Trump step by step closer and closer to a jail cell, pre-trial, pending trial, revoke his pre-trial release if he violates a specific condition of that release by violating the gag order, because that's what the law provides. So he's trying to make the penalties more concrete and frankly, at the end of the day, easier to impose if Judge Chutkin follows the recommendation of Jack Smith. We will see in the coming days whether she chooses to do that. You all know, friends, I am not a gambling man. I am not a high roller. You've heard me say $1 is my betting limit. Well, I think I would bet 75 cents of my maximum $1 bet on one, Judge Chutkin reimposing the gag order, lifting the stay. And then I would probably put 25 cents on her making it a specific condition of his pretrial release such that if he violates it, we're not going to be talking about money sanctions. We're going to be putting his big orange butt in a jail cell pending trial, pending his March 4th trial date, and not wait until after he's tried and convicted, which he will be, and sentenced to prison, which he will be, and ordered to report to the Bureau of Prisons rather than leaving him on release pending appeal, which he will be. He will be ordered into the Bureau of Prisons custody by Judge Chutkin. I'm pretty dang sure of it, friends. I hope I'm not being naive. I hope I'm not being Pollyanna. But if you don't punish an aspiring dictator for trying to end our democracy, for trying to bring an end to the, this great American experiment, if you don't punish him with prison time, then you're not deterring tomorrow's aspiring dictator from doing it all over again. And they're out there. They're out there, friends. Another insurrectionist just took over as Speaker of the House of Representatives. DOJ, if you're listening, please give another read to Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, which says insurrectionists are disqualified, constitutionally disqualified from holding office after they've taken an oath to support and defend the Constitution of the United States. Please, please, I hope you're working behind the scenes. I have to believe you're working behind the scenes to get after the insurrectionists in Congress. I have to believe that because if I don't, if you're not, I feel like the rule of law and our institutions of government responsible for enforcing the rule of law is beginning to crumble around the edges and we may not be able to stop the disintegration if we don't address the insurrectionists who are still serving in Congress trying to kill our democracy from within. Please, please, DOJ, if you're listening. And friends, I think I just proved the point that if I talk to you all on the weekend, unscripted, <laughs> with no outline, you're going to get a rambling, meandering mess that will finger out into lots of different 
issues. Have I apologized to editor Wendy enough? <laughs> Hang in there, Wendy. Well, it's only going to get worse. After the break, Trump's right-hand man, Mark Meadows, has apparently made a deal with Jack Smith to testify against him. Glenn explains how that should play out in D.C. and in the Georgia Rico case, next on Justice Matters. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Donald Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, was granted immunity and compelled to testify to the federal grand jury about the crimes of his former boss. Glenn tells us what this means in terms of accountability for Donald Trump. So let's continue to talk about accountability. We've talked about accountability on the gag order front, both up in New York and in Washington, D.C., my legal backyard, my old stomping ground. Now we're gonna talk about accountability as it pertains to Mark Meadows, the nefarious former chief of staff to a nefarious criminal former president of the United States, Mark Meadows, who should be prosecuted for his crimes. We've seen so much public reporting that indicates, that supports the reasonable conclusion that Mark Meadows was complicit in all kinds of democracy-busting crimes with Donald Trump, probably at the direction of Donald Trump, certainly for the benefit of Donald Trump. One example, after important meetings, probably insurrection-centric meetings, what did Mark Meadows do with the documents? He burned them in the fireplace. Do we think that was to generate warmth? Or do we think he was disposing of the evidence? Come on now. How foolish do we seem to you? Of course, this is nefarious, dirty, crooked, and very likely criminal conduct. So yes, Mark Meadows needs to be held accountable for his crimes. Thus far, he has not been indicted in Washington, D.C. federally. Of course, he has been indicted down in Georgia. God bless District Attorney Fonnie Willis. In her RICO case, Mark Meadows is an indicted defendant facing 5 to 20 years on the lead count, the RICO conspiracy count. So let's talk about accountability for Mark Meadows because a big story broke this week. Mark Meadows got immunity from Jack Smith, from the federal prosecutors. What kind of immunity? What level of immunity? How broad is the immunity? We don't know any of that. We'll kind of touch on the different kinds of immunity momentarily. But we know based on the ABC reporting that He got immunity 
some kind of immunity, and he testified in the grand jury against and about Donald Trump. He obviously testified about some of the incriminating evidence he had, he knew about the crimes of Donald Trump. And this was met by some with, you know, lots of rejoicing. Oh my goodness, an immunity deal has been struck, an immunity agreement. Mark Meadows has flipped. He's been given immunity and he's testified in the grand jury. Whoa, 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 not so fast, not so fast. Now, at its core, yes, if Mark Meadows went into the grand jury and testified about incriminating evidence he knew concerning Donald Trump, that in a vacuum, in isolation, is a good thing, sounds like a good thing, but there are implications to immunity, friends, and that's what we have to take on. You know, we, we have to acknowledge the downside of immunity, not just the upside of immunity. And there is considerable downside to immunity. Let's just assume hypothetically that Mark Meadows is the number two guy in the criminal enterprise that is Trump and company. Donald Trump is number one. He's the mob boss. He's the big orange criminal blowfish, right? The biggest criminal fish. Let's just assume Mark Meadows is number two. He was the chief of staff. And he was kind of acting as treason central on and around January 6th, forwarding all of the treasonous calls and text messages to Donald Trump. Everybody was trying to get him to retain the power of the presidency unlawfully and, you know, deny Joe Biden his election win. And and Mark Meadows was kind of treason central. So as the number two guy in the criminal organization under our hypothetical, he should be held accountable for his crimes. You ordinarily don't want to immunize the number two guy because the number two guy is way high up on the criminal ladder. You want to immunize the lower level players if you immunize anybody and work your way up. And here's why. Because immunity is something that says, listen, I want your testimony. I want to extract from you the incriminating evidence you have about Donald Trump. But I know you have a Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination, so I can't just subpoena you and tell you to go into the grand jury because you can plead the Fifth. The Constitution permits you to do that, and I, for one, am glad the Constitution does protect us against compelled self-incrimination or else somebody could beat us with a phone book and make us incriminate ourselves. Not a good thing. Used to happen. Hopefully it happens less these days. So I embrace and applaud and value the Fifth Amendment right we all have against compelled self-incrimination. So you can't just subpoena Mark Meadows and put him in the grand jury and say, okay, tell us what you know about Donald Trump's crimes. Why? Because that would also incriminate Mark Meadows because he was one of Donald Trump's co-conspirators, criminal associates. So the way you ordinarily want to get that kind of evidence, that kind of information out of a guy like Mark Meadows is not by granting him immunity, but by indicting him, making him plead guilty, flipping him, and having him agree as part of his negotiated plea agreement that he will testify truthfully about the crimes of others. That's the way prosecutors ordinarily want to extract information from a guy like Mark Meadows. Because if you grant him immunity, you know what that is? That's a pass. That's a prosecutor saying, 
I'm not indicting you. I'm not charging you. I'm not going to make you take responsibility for your crimes. I'm simply going to promise that we will not use your testimony against you. I'm going to give you immunity. I'm going to compel you to testify. And we won't use any of your incriminating statements against you. We'll only use them against Donald Trump. That sounds okay in part, but it leaves Mark Meadows completely unaccountable for the crimes Mark Meadows committed. So what happens if Mark Meadows testifies in the future against Donald Trump? He will be cross-examined mightily up one side and down the other by Trump's defense attorney. He said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This prosecutor gave you a free pass? Gave you immunity? You didn't have to cop to any of your crimes? You're not being held accountable for one minute of your own criminal conduct? Are you kidding me? And you want the jury to believe the cruddy stuff you say about Donald Trump? Mr. Meadows, you would say anything these prosecutors wanted you to say about Donald Trump's crimes because they are your greatest benefactors. They gave you immunity. They gave you the keys to the jail. They said, you don't have to plead guilty or be held accountable for anything you did. Just talk dirty about Donald Trump and we're good. Come on now. Friends, immunity is a legitimate tool in a prosecutor's toolbox, but take it from this former 30-year prosecutor. It's our least favorite way to extract incriminating evidence and information out of a witness because it makes for a really poor trial witness because their credibility is susceptible to attack by the defense attorney on cross-examination. And it's morally dubious. Don't tell me the feds are not gonna go about holding Mark Meadows accountable for his crimes. I can't stomach that. Because if you do, if you say it's okay for a chief of staff to the president of the United States to commit all these crimes in league with the president and he won't be held accountable for any of it, well then everybody's gonna be saying, not everybody, but the people who have no moral compass and no allegiance to the rule of law are gonna be saying, where do I sign up to be the next chief of staff? I can do all the cruddy stuff I want. I can commit all the crimes I want and I'm gonna get a pass at the end of the day. Where do I sign up? That would be the opposite of deterring criminal conduct. It would be encouraging criminal conduct by giving immunity to the wrongdoer. I hope I'm explaining this sufficiently, friends, and I hope you understand why I, for one, received the information about Mark Meadows getting immunity, you know, with a thud and a heavy heart. Now let's play cleanup here, okay? Because it's not all, you know, darkness and heaviness, but it ain't all lollipops and rainbows either when it comes to granting Mark Meadows, number two in the criminal organization, in our hypothetical immunity. There are different kinds of immunity. There's what's called use immunity, which simply says we're going to compel you to testify because we're going to take away your privilege against self-incrimination when we immunize you. But that doesn't mean we're not going to prosecute you in the future. It just means nothing you say under that grant of immunity can be used against you. And then there's full transactional immunity, which says we're giving you blanket immunity and you can't be prosecuted for anything that pertains to the subject matter of your testimony. I don't, he didn't get transactional immunity. I'll bet the full buck on that. I might even go to a buck and a quarter, but that makes me uncomfortable because as I said, I'm not a high roller. 
but he didn't get transactional immunity. He got some form of limited use immunity, which hopefully, friends, hopefully does not preclude, does not prevent Jack Smith and the federal prosecutors from indicting and holding Mark Meadows accountable in the future, federally. But time will tell. We need to know a lot more about the details of what the heck went on with this Mark Meadows immunity. Let me just touch on this too, even though I feel like I'm dumping a lot on you friends. When you immunize somebody, it makes it harder to prosecute them in the future. Why do I say that? If you are of a certain age, as I am, you'll remember the Oliver North debacle. Oliver North committed all kinds of crimes as part of the Iran-Contra affair. And Oliver North was indicted, prosecuted, convicted, and imprisoned for his crimes. But Oliver North, before he went to trial and got convicted, had been granted immunity by Congress to testify about the Iran-Contra affair, to talk about his own crimes, to incriminate himself. And what happened? Well, what happened was after Oliver North got convicted, he appealed his conviction and the appellate court busted his conviction. They reversed it. Why? Because he had been immunized and the prosecutors couldn't sufficiently prove that none of the testimony, the evidence, the information, Oliver North was compelled to disclose under that grant of immunity, they couldn't be confident that the prosecutors didn't end up letting it creep back into the investigation and the prosecution of Oliver North, so maybe it kind of sort of was used against him in violation of his grant of immunity. That's why I say successfully prosecuting somebody after they've been granted immunity can be very difficult and challenging and perilous, though not impossible. That's another reason, though, I was concerned that Mark Meadows had been granted immunity. Okay, we're going to finish our accountability discussion vis-a-vis -vis Mark Meadows by moving down to Georgia for a minute, because here's the silver lining. Friends, you know, I'm always looking for the silver lining behind the big black cloud, or maybe the big orange cloud that is Donald Trump. Here's the silver lining. Even if, even if Mark Meadows goes unprosecuted federally, which I do not believe he will. I think he ultimately will be charged, be indicted, or he will negotiate a plea agreement with Jack Smith. But even if he doesn't get prosecuted federally, he's getting prosecuted locally in the state of Georgia. He's a charged, indicted RICO defendant together with Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani and John Eastman and Jeffrey Clark and a handful of others who have already pleaded guilty in Georgia. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And boy, I got an accountability beef down there regarding Sidney Powell and Kenneth Chesbro and Jenna Ellis and company. We'll talk about that momentarily. But Mark Meadows is a RICO defendant facing five to 20 years in Georgia, and he will be convicted if he goes to trial. I'm betting a buck on that. And he probably won't even go to trial because he will negotiate a guilty plea, I believe, with Fawny Willis and her prosecutors in Georgia because the evidence is pretty overwhelming of his guilt. So that's the silver lining. Even if he goes unprosecuted federally in D.C., well, guess what? He is being prosecuted concretely in the state of Georgia. So accountability in one way or another is coming for Mark 
Meadows, notwithstanding this immunity bump in the road that we just experienced. On the way, attorneys for Donald Trump are flipping like pancakes in the Georgia Rico case. But are these lawyers off the hook as far as accountability goes? Glenn discusses this next on Justice Matters. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. Georgia DA Fawnie Willis continues to strategically get pleas from one Trump attorney after another. So what does it say about accountability when these guilty pleas come with probation rather than jail time? Here's Glenn. Okay, let's continue down in Georgia our accountability talk because, again, there's some darkness and then there's some light. There's some upside and then there's some downside with respect to what's been going on in Georgia. But let me start with this, friends. District Attorney Fonnie Willis, and I hope I'm pronouncing her first name right. People say it's like Bonnie, but put an F on it. Fonnie. Fonnie Willis. District Attorney Willis. You like the way I just left her first name out of it there? District Attorney Willis has been expertly executing the RICO playbook. I say that because having tried RICO cases in the courts of Washington, D.C., big RICO cases, like two dozen, more than two dozen indicted, 13 who went to trial. I know how challenging it is. And I so admire the way District Attorney Willis has been moving through the RICO investigation and now prosecution. She really is expertly executing the RICO playbook. My hat's off to her. And my thanks to her for helping preserve our nation, our constitution, and our democracy against those who would have corruptly overturned the results of the election down in Georgia. So as we know, four defendants have pleaded guilty and flipped, agreed to testify truthfully against others. They are cooperating defendants now. And the way District Attorney Willis sequenced these pleas is just tactically and strategically perfect. The first guy was this guy, Scott Hall. Nobody heard of Scott Hall. Who the heck is Scott Hall? He's some bail bondsman down in Georgia. But what he was, was joined at the hip with Sidney Powell, Donald Trump's, one of Donald Trump's corrupt attorneys, right? The Kraken lady. He was joined at the hip with Sidney Powell and together they committed crimes by sort of breaking into 
computer trespass, it's called. They committed crimes in Coffee County, Georgia, by compromising the Coffee County election equipment, the voting equipment. And because Scott Hall pleaded guilty, he was that first domino that crashed into Sidney Powell. And as a result, the Sidney Powell domino fell. And that's a really important domino to fall because Sidney Powell was in Oval Office meetings where they were discussing and agreeing to try to overturn the 2020 presidential election. So she will have directly incriminating statements out of the mouth of the top criminal dog, the mob boss, the big orange blowfish, Donald Trump. I know she said some things and tried to back out and weasel her way around her guilty plea. I'm not going to take all that on now, though it's interesting and not unexpected because of who Sidney Powell is, the you know, lying Kraken lady. Don't expect her to change her tentacles just because, change her feathers, change her tentacles, just because she's entered a plea of guilty in court. But we'll deal with this in a future discussion. She can incriminate and has incriminated, I'm quite sure, in the recorded statements she's given to the prosecutors in Georgia, incriminated Donald Trump. So important dominoes that are falling. The next important domino that fell was Kenneth Chesbro. I think he actually pleaded guilty before Sidney Powell, but the timing is not important. So the Kenneth Chesbro domino, when that fell, when Fonnie Willis pushed it over, knocked it over with a guilty plea, and he flipped and he agreed to cooperate, that domino is falling directly into John Eastman because Chesbro and Eastman are two of the people who are most intimately involved in the fake elector scheme. So again, another important domino, but they're falling in different directions and knocking over different lines of dominoes. And then the most recent domino to fall, oh, this one is a beautiful thing, not literally, but figuratively, Jenna Ellis right? The Jenna Ellis domino fell. She pleaded guilty. She flipped. She's cooperating. And who did it fall into? Rudy Giuliani. And she said in her guilty plea hearing, which I hope everybody is watching on TV because it's being televised and live streamed, or just go to YouTube. You can watch it at your leisure. It's all right there. Watch Jenna Ellis's guilty plea. She said, yeah, I aided and abetted the crimes of others, specifically Rudy Giuliani, by going to the Georgia State Legislature and telling all of these outrageous lies. I mean, watch her guilty plea. Because she's like, yeah, we lied about dead people voting. We lied about underage people voting. We lied about people stuffing ballot boxes. We lied and we lied and we lied. I aided and abetted those lies. But I was really being victimized by the more senior attorneys who, you know, I believed what they were telling me, but I'm guilty too. I aided and abetted those lies. So basically what she said, if I could summarize Jenna Ellis's guilty plea, she said, Rudy, I'd like to introduce you to the undercarriage of the bus. So. That is an important domino falling and beginning to knock over another line of dominoes. And Jenna Ellis falls right into Rudy Giuliani. And Rudy Giuliani, I don't care if he ever pleads guilty. I wouldn't put him on the stand as a cooperating witness. Mr. Truth isn't truth. I wouldn't feel comfortable asking a jury to believe him. He needs to be convicted and imprisoned and spend the rest of his sad, pathetic life in prison. I don't celebrate people dying in prison, but he has richly 
earned the punishment of spending the rest of his days in prison. So I do believe District Attorney Willis, as I say, expertly executing the RICO playbook, striking these deals, having these dominoes fall, right? It's a beautiful chain reaction we are seeing and lots more folks will plead guilty. Here's my concern on the accountability front because the gods of accountability give us a little something and then they take a little something back. All four of these people, Scott Hall, Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell and Kenneth Chesbrough, all four of these people were given guilty pleas with the promise of probation. Not one of them will spend a minute inside a prison cell, even though they engaged in democracy-busting crimes. That is the complaint I have on the accountability front, and here is where the complaint is most acute for me. The lawyers for the boots of the insurrection, the angry mob that listened to Donald Trump's lies and believed them, apparently, that their vote had been stolen, their election rigged, their favorite president was being taken from them, go to the Capitol, fight like hell or you won't have a country anymore, stop the certification of Joe Biden's win. They listened to those orders. They believed those lies, many of them, and they committed crimes at the U.S. Capitol. And they are being arrested, indicted, tried, convicted, and imprisoned by the dozens, indeed by the hundreds. The minute they saw the likes of Sidney the Kraken Powell get probation when she is so much higher up in the criminal hierarchy, the command structure of the insurrection than are the boots of the insurrection, the idiots who believe Donald Trump and who attacked the Capitol, the minute they saw her get probation, the lawyers for so many of these J6 defendants, the boots of the insurrection, came screaming out, telling the media things like, do you understand my client who, yes, attacked the Capitol that day, was on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol screaming, we're releasing the Kraken just like Sidney Powell told us to. We are attacking the Capitol to stop the steal, stop the certification, just like Donald Trump ordered us to. And our clients, the attorneys for the J6 defendants say, are in prison for it. And the people higher up on the criminal ladder who orchestrated and ordered it get probation? Friends, does that feel like justice, equal justice? Does that feel like the equal application of the law? That the ruling class criminals, the Powells, the Chesbros, the Ellises, the Mark Meadows who gets immunity, at least federally, does that feel like equal justice when they get to go out to dinner parties and fundraisers, playing golf and doing what they please, while the low-level criminals, the bottom rung of the criminal ladder, the J6ers, are sitting in prison for the crimes that were orchestrated and ordered by the hierarchy of the insurrection? Does that feel like the equal application of the law? Friends, I'm going to say it one more time. Does it feel like equal justice? Not to me, it doesn't. Now, I'm not taking up for the J6ers. They are where they belong. They've earned the right to be in a jail cell because they attacked the Capitol based on the lies of Donald Trump. But fair is fair. 
If they're in prison, the people who orchestrated, organized, and ordered the Capitol attack, like Powell and Chesbro and Jenna Ellis and Donald Trump and Mark Meadows and others, they need to be in prison far longer than the boots of the insurrection who were following their commands and their orders and who believed their lies or didn't believe their lies and attacked the Capitol for their own reasons. So I'm not taking up for the J6ers, I'm taking up for the equal application of the law. I'm taking up for equal justice for all. That's why I don't like probation pleas in Georgia. I understand this is not a criticism of DA Willis and her team. I understand they're building a prosecution and frankly, Georgia shouldn't have to come in and hold people accountable for the massive federal crimes that they committed. They're just sawing the wood down in Georgia, one state. But gosh dang it, these people like Sidney Powell and Kenneth Chesbrough and Jenna Ellis and Mark Meadows and Jeffrey Clark and John Eastman and the rest of them, Donald Trump, they must be held accountable federally, imprisoned federally, for their democracy ending crimes, even if some of them are getting pleas to probation down in Georgia, because there's no kind of justice if there's not equal justice. And justice matters. Friends, thank you for sticking with me through my meandering rant. I would love to hear from you. I would love any feedback you can provide about whether you like ranting, unscripted, disorganized, meandering Glenn on the weekends, or the sort of more thoughtful, structured, organized, and outlined Glenn on the weekends, or if you know, you're just sick of Glenn on the weekends, enough with the Glenn on the weekends. Now, I hope you find some value in this commentary that, that, friends, I try to sort of distill through my 30 years as a federal prosecutor, both military and civilian, trying to understand what the hell, what the hell is going on the legal landscape and on the legal landscape in this country that we love so dearly and want the best for and are working our butts off every day to try to repair, right, to try to improve and the one thing we can concretely do, every one of us, is we can vote, and we can vote, and we can vote. I voted early not too long ago here in Virginia, and I was so thrilled to see that even though Election Day was a few weeks away, there were lots of people at the polls. And you know how they hand out the Republican sample ballots and the Democrat sample ballots? This is not a representative sampling of any kind, but. I was watching the folks grab up the Democrat ballots in Virginia. I think because people understand that we'd like to retain our rights and we'd like to claw back the rights that a compromised Supreme Court has stolen from us, most directly from women. So let me finish where I started. Vote and vote and vote and support voting efforts, registration efforts, phone banking, helping people get to the polls, volunteering at your election places. Vote and vote and vote, because that's the one thing we can concretely do. And if you care about women's rights, if you care about women being empowered to make their own reproductive health decisions, rather than having 
a handful of Supreme Court oligarchs make those decisions for women, then, then vote. If you care about equal rights for our LGBTQ plus friends and family and community, then vote. If you care about affirmative action, giving somebody a hand up, my favorite saying, friends, and I said this on a podcast with my dear friend, Pete Dominic, no joke, my dear friend, Pete Dominic. He had hit the recording button when I first connected with him for the latest podcast. And we just started talking. I didn't even know we were already recording. And I said, Pete, you know, my favorite saying, my favorite saying, and I had it pinned atop my bulletin board. Yes, I had a bullet cork board bulletin board in my U.S. attorney's office for decades. And the, the phrase that I pinned on the top of it is, don't look down on a man unless you're going to help him up. Those are words that I like to think I live by. Don't look down on a man or a woman or a person unless you're going to help them up. And if you care about helping up women who have had their constitutional privacy rights revoked, if you care about helping our LGBTQ plus friends and family, neighbors and community, you know, if you want to give them a helping hand up, then get out and vote. If you care about the way minorities have been systemically and systematically discriminated against in institutions of higher learning and everywhere else in this nation, if you want to give them a hand, a helping hand up, then get out and vote. If you want to make inroads into these politicians who continue to worship at the altar of unrestricted access to weapons of war, assault rifles, you want to give victims of gun violence a helping hand up, then get out and vote, and vote, and vote, and vote. Friends, thanks for hanging in there with me today. I look forward to talking with you all again soon. Please stay safe. Please stay tuned. And you can find me all over the social media platforms at Glenn Kirshner 2 or you can join us on patreon.com where we fight for it every day and that is how we get to do this every day it is with your kind support over on patreon.com so if you'd like to come over become a member of team justice proper i'll send you some team justice and justice matter stickers and a personal handwritten note of thanks and um you know we're going to keep fighting for it friends all damn day every damn day you know, because it does matter. Have a good weekend.